Welcome to the On The Road live show this Saturday morning. I'm John Marucci, creator of the On The Road YouTube channel that provides RPOD and RV-specific videos to help in your travel experience. You know, the purpose of the On The Road live show is to provide a place to interact in community, get questions answered, and stay current on RV news, trends, and resources. Of course, anyone, no matter the experience level, is welcome to participate and ask questions or interact. Now, it's good to have you on the show today and nice to connect with each of you live. Feel free to put in the chat what location you're logging in from this morning. Also, to ask a question, just put the word QUESTION in all caps in front of your comment so we can see it. So on today's show, we'll start by troubleshooting a refrigerator issue, then look at recent RV news. In your spotlight segment, we'll look at a great appliance to travel with. You'll want to stick around for the live Q&A round as we take your RV travel questions. So let's just take a moment and uh, welcome people here. Thank you, everybody, for joining. Uh, I noticed that uh, Kevin's joined from West Michigan, and we have some people uh, joining from Illinois. Thank you, Dana. appreciate uh, you joining this morning, and uh, welcome, everybody. And we're going to go ahead and get on here with the show here. So the first thing we're going to look at here is an interesting piece here on the question. The question segment of the show is about answering a question about a specific, specific relevant topic. You know, these are usually gleaned from viewer follow-up questions from various videos. And as we go along, of course, if, you, if the discussion spurns a question, just ask away in the chat. So here we go. Here's a question from Paul to troubleshoot a refrigerator issue. Thanks, John. Have followed your videos and learned a lot. It even reinforces what I'm, when I'm doing things right. However, we're having a problem keeping the refrig cool uh, at 40 degrees to outside temperatures. For example, if it's 85 degrees outside, the fridge will only stay 45 degrees. So 40 degrees different. I usually take the outside panels off to allow more airflow and watch the water level in the cup. All in all, I'm unhappy with the ability to cool in a warm climate. And we primarily travel south for the winter. So let's look at some troubleshooting for this situation. If you run into this with a refrigerator in your RV or R-Pod, what do you do? So the first question we're going to ask is, is the refrigerator in direct sunlight? So this is an important thing to understand. If it's warm out and your refrigerator, the side of the uh, RV that your refrigerator is on in, is in direct sunlight and it's pretty hot out, you could have some issues. So this is specific if you look at the R-Pod floor plans here, you know, to the 179, the 180, and the 191. So on the floor plans, uh, what you can look at here is that, if you look at it here with me, if you notice the 179, which is the second one over, and the 180, and the um, 191, the refrigerator is in the corner of the slide out. So what that means is that there's two sides of the refrigerator that are actually sticking out into open air. So imagine if you have, you know, a 90 degree day and you have sunlight directly on those refrigerators that you're going to have a problem with them keeping cool just because of the direct heat. So those three, I think, are the most prone to this issue of direct sunlight. The other ones that are on the uh, screen right now, including the 171 and the uh, 189 and 190, they're also in the slide out, except the 171, but they do have things around them. But those three, specifically the 179, 180, and 191, really can be prone to having uh, issues with direct sunlight just because they're exposed here. So that's the first thing you want to ask if you're having issues with cooling is, is the uh, refrigerator in a slide out and does it have uh, direct sunlight on it? So the second thing we're going to ask if we're trying to troubleshoot a refrigerator issue is, is the travel trailer level? And that's kind of important for these absorption type refrigerators 
that the actual travel trailer is level. Now I think it can be off level a little bit and you won't have too many problems, but generally you want it fairly level for them to operate properly. The third thing we're gonna ask is, are the vents clear? Now those of you who aren't aware, the outside of your travel trailer where the refrigerator is, there's usually two sets of vents and sometimes they can get clogged up with debris or uh, pests getting in there and things. And so you wanna make sure that those are clear and free so there's plenty of ventilation. You can put screens on them like I do so that you can actually keep those uh, closed somewhat from, uh, from you know, wasps and other insects from getting in. But of course that's gonna impede a little bit of the airflow. But generally you wanna understand that it does need ventilation. The next thing we wanna ask is, is it on the coolest setting? Now this may seem obvious to you, but generally you want the refrigerator on the absolute coolest setting to make sure that it's working at the, the deepest cool possible for uh, the refrigerator. Now that's something that we actually have a video out there on the Dometic refrigerator and you can look at that on the YouTube channel and have a look and, and see how to do that. But generally you're gonna want it at the coolest setting. And then finally, does it need to be defrosted? Now these refrigerators occasionally do need to be defrosted. There can be significant ice that gets on the cooling fins and you're gonna to wanna to look at that and make sure that you don't have a lot of accumulating ice, especially if you leave the door open too much and you're in a humid climate the uh, ice can accumulate on those cooling fins. So that's, uh, that's some of the things that we would look at. And here's a quick picture of what may happen. And this is actually my Dometic refrigerator. I think this is down in Florida where we had to basically turn it off and defrost it because it wasn't working real well. Well, of course it's not going to when you have that much ice on the cooling fins. So just be aware of that. These are not frost free. <laughs> so you're gonna have to do that once in a while. Okay, let's take a quick break here and look at some chat questions. See if uh, after that section, if anyone has any questions. Uh, we got a couple things here. Let's see here. Okay, question. Thoughts on traveling with propane on? That's a great question there. Propane on as far as cooling the refrigerator. So uh, some of the R-Pod and other RVs have uh, various methods to actually cool the refrig, the energy source. You can plug it in the shore power and propane for most refrigerators, those two sources. Now, some of the smaller Dometic units in the R-Pods, especially the smaller R-Pods, you can also have battery. Now, I have traveled with the propane on, and I think it actually cools better with propane versus battery. And I actually think it cools better, better with propane versus shore power, but I'm obviously not gonna use my propane up when I'm plugged into shore power. But when you're traveling, you've gotta be very cautious, right? I usually, in my R-Pod 179, because I do have the, the battery method of uh, keeping the refrigerator powered while I'm traveling. I use it on battery primarily when I'm traveling. I don't use it on propane. You've got to be very careful when you're on propane. And if you do use propane while you're traveling, there's very serious restrictions state by state you need to be aware of, whether you're going to tunnels, you've got to make sure you turn that thing off when you're at gas stations, etc. So it can be done, but you really need to be educated in what the rules are when you're traveling and using the fridge on propane. Okay, excellent question. Hopefully that helped. Okay, so uh, let's go ahead and just welcome some more people. I know several more people joined the call. Anyway, thank you again, guys, for joining the call. I see someone from Montana. Uh, welcome from Montana. Terry from Fort Collins. Hopefully it's, it's nice there in Colorado today. Nice and warm here in West Michigan. I see uh, Terry also from Centennial, Colorado. So welcome again from Colorado. And Tim from uh, Stony Lake, Michigan. Nice to see another Michigander online. So... Great to see you guys on. We're gonna go ahead and hop now over to RV News. We got some really interesting RV News today. Now remember the RV News segment of the show is about getting up to speed on the latest RV News that may impact you. 
we look at various sources and try to boil the news down to a few main items to review. So first up is kind of what we've been looking at several times on the live show is that traditional forms of travel continue to be hit hard. You know, TSA checkpoint numbers are showing air travel is recovering very slowly, but it's actually been hit again just lately in the last couple of weeks. If you add up the past four weeks, 2019 versus 2020, 2019 had 71.2 million travelers versus 17.7 million travelers this year, which is at a 25% rate. Unfortunately, it's trending back down this week, as you can see from the chart on the screen. The latest week has seen a strong uptick of issues, as you guys know, nationally with what's going on, which seem to be hitting air travel adversely again. So that, that chart on the screen, you can see that the 2020 numbers were catching up slowly, but it got hit again, as you guys are probably aware in the news. Meanwhile, new and used inventory on RV Trader continues to decline. There's been a 21% decline of new and used RVs for sale since May 20th, so an eight-week period here, from about 156,000 to about 123,000. So while there's still plenty of RVs for sale, the drop shows a really strong increase in demand, and most of you folks who've been following this know this. If you talk to any dealers at all, they've all had pretty much had record Junes as people are moving to RV travel versus air travel. Now, something to be aware of, there's a, a brand new travel restriction that's just been, a, the Associated Press has just put this out this last week, that the U.S., Canada, and Mexico plan to extend agreements to keep their shared borders closed to non-essential travel until August 21st. So you need, you need to be aware of that if you're planning a trip, say, from Canada to the U.S. or vice versa, or even down to Mexico, that it may be very difficult to cross the border. You may want to rethink that until after, say, August 21st and check the news on that. When we look at Campendium and the open statuses as of 7, 17, 20, uh, only 9.10% of U.S.-based campsites are still closed. That's down from a high of 46% in late April. And only one out of the 50 state park campground systems are currently closed or delayed or open only to residents, and that's New Mexico. So if you remember the last live show, all the New England states, I think besides Maine, were closed and they've opened back up. So pretty much all state campground systems are open at this point, except New Mexico. So here's my take. You know, since our last live show in late June, we've actually done two multi-day trips to two different Michigan state parks. Ludington State Park on the west coast of Michigan. There's some nice pictures on the, on the screen here. And also Yankee Springs uh, State Recreational Area. And if you follow along on Instagram, you've had a good taste of those trips already as I put a lot of material up there. Both campgrounds were almost completely full, even on our Sunday to Friday trips taken. And for the Ludington trip, you know, social distancing was implied, but really not enforced. The bathhouses were open without any real restrictions. We didn't use those, by the way. We used our own facilities. There's a appetizing picture of a Johnny Pop on there. <laughs> this also, I think, is a picture of Yankee Springs here on there. But the bathhouses were open without any real restrictions. And other than state workers wearing masks, a large majority of campers really acted like there were no issues. So often kids, as you know, who make friends pretty easily with other kids in campgrounds were busy having fun and visiting campsites without hindrance. Unfortunately, both Ludington and Yankee Springs, in my opinion, are kind of like parking lots. There's not much berm area or even definition between sites, so they're very close together and tightly packed. And so that really doesn't deter any kind of interaction or social distancing. So my take is that if you do go camping, be aware of your surroundings and stay a good distance from neighbors unless you wear a mask. There is still a real risk with what's going on. So plan on using your own facilities or camp where there are fewer people nearby. 
The next piece of news we reported on last show is that the uh, Great American Outdoor Act passed the Senate. Well, this last week, it also passed the House, passed the House of Representatives. And so that's an important thing because this is a $9.5 billion funding for national park backlogs of maintenance over five years. And it's funded through the what's currently explored on public lands, things like oil exploration and other things. So that's not funded through taxpayer funding, but uh, through various exploration of public lands. And the president does plan to sign the law shortly. So that's good news for the national parks. Okay, this next story is really interesting. And this is about Hyundai, the car maker, is coming out, just came out with a brand new, what they call a camping car. So this is a bit of Korean news. But the Korean Herald reported in early July that the new Hyundai camping car called the Porest, it's just like Forest, but with a P, believe it or not. It's a combination of Porter, which is their truck uh, chassis, and Rest. You know, I watched a couple of YouTube videos from a YouTuber called Asian Petrolhead, where he took the camping car out and tested it out. Now, the new camping car, which is built on a small truck platform, looks pretty good with all the amenities as expected, including a very cool smart bed feature, which actually I've never seen on any camper or Class B or uh, motorhome. You know, Korea has seen a five-fold increase in camping cars in the past five years, and certainly Hyundai is well-timed putting this new, what we would call a Class B, in the market given recent events. There's some interesting pictures of it. Now, the camping car starts in the mid-40,000 range and goes up to around 70,000 fully optioned. You know, while not cheap, it's extremely well-priced when comparing to some established Class B RVs like Leisure Travel Van or Airstream. And in my opinion, the bigger deal is if Hyundai decides to come to the U.S. with something like this, hopefully with a different name. <laughs> Given their immense manufacturing cap capability, focus on quality and practicality and pricing. You know, if Hyundai does get into the RV manufacturing uh, world stateside, you know, what ancillary effects would that produce? Recently, interestingly, a viewer asked me where he could get an RV with the quality and price point of a Toyota and I had to answer that I didn't think there was anything like this available. Uh, should large car manufacturers see the trend toward RVs and enter this market, this potentially could be a game changer. Okay, so let's go ahead and, and look at some chats, see if that news section uh, spurned any questions or anything, anybody comments or questions. I think it's very interesting actually that the car manufacturers may be waking up to the idea of actually producing RVs. Uh, Tim, it looks like you have something here. While we have a Roo, I find your videos helpful as there are a lot of common systems used. Your videos really help us. We're from Southfield outside Detroit visiting family at Stanley Lake. Great, Tim. Yeah, the Rockwood Rue is an interesting one. I think when I first um, was looking at R-Pods back in 2016, I actually checked out a Rockwood Rue. It's a nice unit. So uh, hopefully you're enjoying that and enjoying the Michigan weather. It's been nice. I think it's going to hot this weekend, but it's been really nice this week. So thanks for that comment, Tim. So we got another one here. Uh, good morning. Just bought a used 179 and watch your water heater video. Great info. Thanks. And I'd like and subscribe. Well, great. Appreciate that. Uh, just as an FYI, we have a lot of stuff. If you have any questions about, you know, the converter or the uh, Dometic fridge, which we're going to talk about more in a moment, or the uh, convection oven, those videos are out there as well that are all popular and helpful for the 179. Okay, we're going to hop over to Newbie Corner now. So in Newbie Corner, it's a segment that's all about covering a topic focused on helping those just getting started with RVing. And there's a lot of people in that group right now, by the way, in the last few months. If you are new, feel free to let us know in the chat if you want to and ask any questions. And today we'll be talking about refrigeration, best practices, and alternatives. 
Okay, so first thing we're gonna look at is this Dometic refrigerator. If you have a smaller R-Pod, for example, they have an absorption type refrigerator, Dometic fridge, that is different from the compressor refrigerator that you have in your home. Some of the benefits of the absorption type refrigerator is that it doesn't have a compressor, so it's not gonna use near the energy. It doesn't make any noise like a home refrigerator. And for the smaller Dometics, like in the 179, for example, my unit, it has three-way power. I talked about this a little earlier. You can run it on propane, on shore power, or on battery. Some of the disadvantages, and these are really important, it takes a lot longer to chill them. They warm up very quickly, so you just can't leave the door open casually to look at stuff like looking for what you want to eat. Too long or it's going to warm up very quickly. And as we looked at the picture earlier, they really needed to be, be defrosted fairly regularly. Some of the main features, now there's two different models of Dometic fridges in the R-Pods right now. So we're going to delineate here between the 20-foot R-Pods and smaller and the larger than 20-foot ones, which are like the 192, 193, 95, 96, and the 202 that just came out. They have larger 6-cubic-foot refrigerators. So first of all, the 3.7-cubic-foot on the 20-foot and smaller units, again, are three-way power, propane, shore power, and battery. And on the 6-cubic-foot larger ones, they only have two-way power. So they don't have battery power. They only have propane and shore power. Uh, the smaller ones also have the digital control panel and a door ajar alarm. So if you leave the door open more than two minutes, it starts alarming on you, which is a nice thing. And the smaller units, if you didn't know that, they actually have a removable freezer compartment, which is an imp important piece to understand because you can turn the entire Dometic fridge into a refrigerator only. We'll get into that more in a minute. So here's a little tip around this. You know, get a temperature sensor that allows you to see the interior temperatures without opening the door of the fridge. And we have a good one on the Amazon storefront that you can look at if you don't have something like this. So on the screen here, you can see this. Basically, you know, we put the number two one there in the freezer and the one in the fridge. And so you can see the temperatures basically without having to open the fridge door and warm up the thing every time you want to look in. So if you're curious what the temperatures are and you're keeping your food safe, you can do that easily. And again, that's on the Amazon storefront if you're interested. And we have a lot of other stuff if you're just getting started that are on the storefront to save you a bunch of time finding things. Okay, so here's a few tips for going out and actually keeping, uh, packing your refrigerator and keeping it cool as possible because it's important not to leave the door open when you're going. So one of the first things you can do is actually pre-chill the fridge before filling it. Really important to turn it on. Say you're at home, you can plug it in to shore power and turn it on and have the fridge going, getting cold before you actually load it. It's also important next to... Uh, and to pre-chill your food and beverages. So what you don't want to do is have a cold fridge and then put warm food in and warm beverages. So taking, you know, some like warm pop straight from the uh, grocery store and put it in the fridge, it's not going to help. So you want to try and pre-chill your stuff before it goes in the fridge. That helps a lot. Another important thing you may not have thought about is, you know, stock the refrigerator before you go out on the coolest time of the day. So if it's 95 degrees out, and, you know, the inside of your R-Pod is boiling, it's probably not the best time to open a refrigerator and start packing it. So try to stock it at the cool time of the day. Another tip is open the door for as short a time as possible. Now, we referred to this earlier, but it's, again, it's an absorption refrigerator and it's going to lose cool very quickly. Okay, these do lose cool quickly. And if you keep the door uh, open just for short times, it'll actually prevent frost, which is important. Once that thing starts frosting up, you're pretty much done until you defrost it. Another tip is don't overfill the unit so you can allow air to flow and circulate it. Don't overpack it because you do need those fins clear. And finally here, maintain space between the items, about a quarter inch at least, between the food in the back and the cooling fins. 
Okay, so here's an interesting viewer tip. And I, I love some of these things that people bring up in the tips because people have all kinds of interesting ideas. This is from Eli, who's a viewer. He says, I load a couple freezer gel blocks, frozen gel blocks, along with the food when starting out instead of pre-cooling the unit. So understand this, he's not talking about pre-cooling the refrigerator. If he just has to head out, one thing you can do is use these uh, freezer gel blocks. And I have a few of these as well that I usually use in a, you know, a portable bag I bring with me when I do things. You can put these when you're starting out instead of pre-cooling. That'll really cool down this refrigerator. Remember, it's a pretty small refrigerator. Uh, if room, I leave blocks in the fridge when camping and then transfer to a cooler with leftovers to keep them cold for the short trip from RV storage lot to home. So this is an interesting tip that you can use. So think about things like this. If you want to cool down your fridge, you can also do the same thing if you're cooling it down and you want to pack it. There's no reason why you can't put frozen gel blocks in there just to keep it cold while you're packing it. So a good tip from Eli. Okay, you know, something to consider if you want to extend time. This is a little bit of a different tip here. Not just uh, packing your refrigerator and keeping it cool, but what about if you want to extend time between trips to the grocery store? Especially important here during our social distancing issues going on. So we have an excellent tip here from Mike F. And Mike has given us exceptional tips in the past, and he has another really good one about dry foods. So Mike is a longtime viewer and contributor, and he suggested the following. He says, John, I mentioned in your R-Pod versus Bullet long trip comparison, that I was able to go on a three-week trip with the R-Pod, even though it has a much smaller refrigerator, by making use of canned and dried products that don't need refrigeration. Costco, for example, has tons of shelf-stable products like canned chicken and beef, vacuum-sealed entrees and fruits, freeze-dried hash browns, boxed pancake mix and cereals, shelf-stable mix, etc., that makes it very easy to do. You can also get a lot of great shelf-stable stuff at your grocer, but I find Costco size is useful to stock up on for the camping season. I only had to pick up perishable things like bread occasionally that you can get even at truck stops. The storage on an RPod 179 is pretty good for a small trailer, so I found I could easily go for a month-long trip with an R-Pod without a problem. So think about that with me for a second. What Mike is saying is that you don't need to stock up on too much refrigerated items even, and that can allow you to go much longer without having to make trips to the grocery store while you're traveling. So excellent tips from Mike. And Mike, if you're watching or watch the replay, appreciate uh, your input again. So let's take a quick uh, break over to the chat session and see what's going on. If anyone has any questions, uh, let's go ahead and put them up here. Let's see. Okay, Brian, R-Pod 190. That's a nice unit. How do you know if your battery is getting charged while plugged into shore power? So there's a couple things you can do, Brian. You should be able to look at your panel uh, and your panel has a bunch of little lights. There's a battery button. You should be able to push that. If you're plugged into shore power and you push that battery button, it should say all four lights should be on. And if it's not, you may have an issue with your converter. The other thing you'll notice, and this kind of freaks people out a little bit, especially if you're new uh, new users and new R-Pod people, that the converter will run. The fan, you'll actually hear the fan running when you plug it in the shore power. And this happens a lot, by the way. You've just traveled, you come to a campsite, you plug your 30 amp shore power in and you hear the converter start whining. Well, what it's doing is it's charging the battery. So that's important to understand. You should hear that occasionally. And don't worry about that, that's just normal. It's basically, think about a car battery charger at home that you'd plug into your battery and plug into the wall, you know, connect your positive and negative, it's charging that. It's really the same kind of thing. You have a converter on board. And so when you plug in the shore power, it's actually just converting that AC to DC and charging your battery. And then your battery, by the way, runs a bunch of stuff, including your LED lights, the uh, LED panel on your refrigerator and some other things. 
in the travel trailer, so it actually works through that. So if your battery's not charged, you could have problems. But to answer your question, basically, you're going to hit that LED, well, not LED, you're going to hit the light panel, hit the battery, and you should see all, all four lights light up. If they're not lighting up, then you probably have a problem with your converter. And you can diagnose that. We actually have a really good converter replacement uh, video out on the website, on, on the YouTube channel, that uh, helps a lot. And we've uh, actually had to go through that where we replaced a converter. So uh, hopefully that helps, Brian. Uh, and uh, hopefully you can uh, take that and go with that. Uh, another question here, uh, do you use a B2B charger when driving to new camping uh, locations? So I'm not, I'm not totally sure what we mean by B2B. If you're talking about uh, just a regular battery charger, and maybe you can uh, uh, clarify what you mean by B2B. Sorry, I'm not totally following along with the, the terminology there. Uh, just go ahead and clarify if you, if you want it there, and I can come back to it. Uh, we'll get back to that in just a minute. Um, okay, uh, let's go ahead and move on and feel free again to clarify that B2B question. We'll just jump back to it in a few minutes here. Okay, we're going to jump to the spotlight section of the show. You know, the spotlight segment of the show is all about highlighting a specific resource so we can become more informed in making decisions. Today, we're going to be looking at the EdgeStar external fridge freezer unit. A few minutes ago, I talked about removing the freezer portion of your Dometic fridge in your R-Pod and the smaller units and turning it only into a refrigerator, which is what I do, by the way, much of the time because I have one of these edge stars. So as you can see um, right here, we're able to bring frozen treats along. I love this picture. This is the, a Johnny Pop. By the way, these Johnny Pops are pretty healthy uh, pops we get from Costco. Uh, really like these, and it's super nice to be able to bring them along camping. And a couple of years ago, before we got the edge star, we couldn't bring anything like this, right? Because the Dometic freezer just doesn't keep stuff that cold. So the Edge Star does a, a good trick with this, and we're able to bring these. It's a nice treat to have after doing a long hike or whatnot. You know, we can do this because the portable freezer can keep items very cold. And there's a picture of the Edge Star on there. It's about 1.1 cubic feet. Uh, we're seeing temps actually down to minus 22 degrees, which is pretty amazing. It keeps things cold for a considerable amount of time, by the way, when traveling, which is easily as important. So here you can see a picture. You have it packed with frozen stuff. Uh, and so be aware of this. We've tested this out a few times. We're traveling just from where we are now up to Ludington, three plus hours, and the freezer only got up to 12 degrees, not plugged in, but full of frozen food. And we've used the Edge Star for a few years and highly recommend it. So here are a few features. Number one, it provides flexibility based on current needs. Now be aware, you know, this is not a refrigerator with a small freezer in it, like you see some, uh, you know, like an apartment or, you know, dorm type refrigerator. This is actually a refrigerator or freezer. You turn it to refrigerator mode or all the way up to a small freezer mode, so it's fully fridge or freezer. And it actually does an incredible job. It allows me to determine how to use it based on current needs. So if I just need more refrigeration, I will just leave it on a extra as an extra refrigerator. If I want to leave it just as a freezer, I can do that. The other nice thing about this is it has a very low profile. So the profile of this is, is pretty short. It fits right into the bed of my Toyota Tundra. So let's look at a few tips while using a portable freezer. But first, let me just take a quick moment, pause, and say, you know, we're going to jump to the open Q&A in just a moment. So feel free to add your questions or re-add your questions in the chat now, and we'll get to the, to the open Q&A in just a moment after we hit these tips. Remember to put question in all caps so we can find it. Okay, so here's a couple tips about the freezer. You know, first thing is to pre-freeze to max cold before the trip. It's important because we're going to unplug this thing and take it with us. So we want to keep it as cold as possible with food in it as we go. So pre-freeze it to max. And again, I got it down to about minus 22. 
then fill the, fill the freezer with frozen items well before departure and allow it to get down to max cold again. And then before you go, lock it, because it does have a nice locking mechanism, and unplug it and pack it last before you leave uh, your house or where you're traveling from. And then when you get to the campsite or where you're traveling to, unpack it and plug it in first when you're there. So there's a few of the, the main things. Okay, so it looks like we have a follow-up on the prior question, uh, and we're going to jump into the open Q&A. So any question, RV question is open. Uh, anyone have any questions at all concerning uh, RVs, etc., we can jump into it now. And here we go. So we have a follow-up here. Let me just grab this real quick. Uh, Okay, like a Victron battery to battery charger. Okay, so yeah, I and I think the original question was, do I use that? I actually don't use that. I haven't used that at all. I haven't never needed to. Basically, uh, my Tundra hasn't had any issue at all with charging, keeping the refrigerator, the Dometic refrigerator, cool on battery. I just haven't had an issue. It may not quite do as good as propane, but we used it recently on battery mode, going a pretty good distance. And it just didn't do, it didn't have any problems at all keeping the Dometic freezer, a uh, refrigerator and freezer cool during that travel. So I just haven't had the need to do it. And I'm, I'm sure there's a reason to do it if you're having a problem with it, but I, I just haven't had an issue. Okay, we have another question. Uh, I have read the seven pin trailer hookup wire really doesn't charge. Okay, that's kind of what we're just talking about. Uh, and actually, I, you may have read that, but I, again, my evidence is I've, I haven't had an issue at all. And maybe your tow vehicle and the power of your tow vehicle. I know with my Tundra and the tow package and uh, what's set up with that with the seven pin just hasn't been an issue for uh, using the small Dometic fridge on battery. Now, feel free to comment anyone else who can either confirm or have the other issues, but I think it may be uh, more to do with your tow vehicle and the power of your battery because I have an extra heavy duty battery that's part of the tow package in my Tundra. And it may be an issue with that and the alternator strength in your tow vehicle as part of that. So there may be some other variables that have little to do with the refrigerator or the seven pin. Okay, thanks for that question. That's a, that's a good discussion point. Okay, another one, Rod, uh, Ron. I uh, just got a 202196, congratulations, Ron. Uh, thinking of putting a lockable battery box with solar 10 watt panel, two batteries. Uh, any real advantage to that? Well, it really depends, Ron, on what you plan on doing. Um, if you're gonna do off-grid camping and not like at state parks where you have power, it makes sense to go with, uh, in that direction with more batteries and solar or even a generator for that matter if you plan on doing it. So a lot of these these kind of questions have to do with how do you plan on camping? So I really haven't done much off-grid camping. I'm looking into it right now, uh, trying to research some of that because I want to do some of that. But lately it's been more state parks where I have 30 amp shore power. So if you plan on doing a lot of like state park camping or places you're going to have power, I probably just wouldn't spend the extra money to outfit your, your uh, travel trailer with those unless you really plan on doing off-grid stuff. Now I'd say this, this Ron, as well. If you do plan on doing off-grid, I'm not sure a 10-watt solar panel is going to do a whole lot for you. Uh, a lot of the solar panels are in the 100 to 200-watt range. Uh, if you have an R-Pod and you have solar on the side, if you know what I'm talking about, my 179 has a solar on the side plug. I may at some point get actually a ZAMP suitcase type solar panel, 100 or 200 watt in that range, so I can put it in the sun. One of the things I don't like necessarily about having solar panels on the roof is that, well, what if I park under shade, which is nice in the summer? If I have a solar suitcase, I can actually move that ZAMP solar suitcase into a sun area, even though my trailer's parked in the shade. So I'm, I'm considering all this stuff, but that's to say if you're really gonna outfit your camper 
to be off-grid, then you probably actually need to do more of this and look at lithium batteries and actually more powerful uh, solar collectors. But so is there advantage? Yeah, it is. But it really, again, Ron, depends on what you plan on doing. So you got to kind of consider that and what percentage you plan on going off off grid and boondocking versus like plugged in all the time. Okay. Let's we have some more questions here. Let me put these up here. Uh, Dana, any tips on putting an, the anode ride into the water heater? I can't keep it straight while installing it. Yeah, that's uh, Dana, that's kind of a, a regular problem because as you know, the anode rod's really long, right? And it kind of, it kind of can, the threads are just on the very end of it. And it's not light, by the way. So you've got to kind of keep it up somehow to, to thread it. And I've had the same issue. It's not easy. I don't know that I have any tips. I've always been able to do it. The main thing is, you know, you want to put some Teflon tape around there and then just try and get it in. One thing you can try is you, I think it's a one and one sixteenth socket that, that is the right size for that. Put it in the socket first and then just take the socket off of your wrench and just have the socket as kind of your handler, and then just try and do it that way instead of holding just the end of the end of the anode rod. That might might help a little bit. So hopefully that helps. Okay, uh, last opportunity for questions, Q and A. Anybody else? Refrigeration? Any RV question? Open open floor here. And if you've asked something earlier, uh, feel free to refresh the question. Just put question in your comment here. We'll give it a a few moments here just to make sure everyone has opportunity. It doesn't have to be about refrigeration. It can be about anything at all. Okay, uh, let's see here. We got a couple things coming in. Let's see here. Conversation. Uh, I think you mean convection oven here is stainless steel. So I've been told, uh, I thought means don't rust, but my oven has rust spots. So that's interesting. Um, you know, I, I and I think you're talking about the interior. Uh, maybe not, but uh, you know, that's that's unusual. I, if it's the exterior of the, of the unit, I'd... I, also think it was stainless steel, so that is unusual. Maybe you've had, um, maybe you've had just a lot of humidity in the unit. Now, one thing you can try is just some stainless steel cleaner, and you can pick that up at either a big box store or various places, uh, you know, local store to try some stainless steel cleaner, uh, and that should take that off. But it's that is kind of unusual, and it may just be some surface corrosion that should come up. But I'm pretty sure they are stainless steel, so uh, maybe you can try something like that. Okay, let's see some else here. Uh, let's see here. Okay, Terry, newbie, we just purchased our first pod, a 195. Well, congratulations. It's very exciting. I remember when I got my first one, it was really exciting. It opened up a whole new world. It came with a solar panel. Well, that's great. Uh, will these cool the fridge while driving? I, you know, and that's a good question. Now, the refrigerator, if you put it on battery, uh, and I'm assuming here with a, well, let me think for a second here. The 195 is going to have the six cubic foot refrigerator. So you are not going to, you're not going to have the battery. So you don't have a battery option. If you had one of the smaller R pods, you'd have battery option. And then you could keep your refrigerator working on battery. So I think the answer is going to be no there. Anything like a 192, 193, 195, or 196 or 202 are going to have the larger six cubic foot refrigerators. And so you have to keep those cool either by propane or by shore power. Now, let me just say something about running your propane, running your refrigerator on propane. It doesn't take much propane, and you should probably try that. But uh, basically, with your solar panels running your running your refrigerator, I don't think that's going to work. In fact, the way you'd have to do that if you're boondocking is you could use your solar panels to charge your battery. And I I don't think I'd have to have to do some research on that. And if anyone has the answer to that, if the refrigerator will actually run. Uh, while you're boondocking. I'm not sure that it will. So not sure about that, Terry. Sorry that I don't have a clear answer. I do know that you can't run it on battery mode uh, while you're traveling. 
Okay, and one of the things, Terry, that you may want to ask, since this is a little bit out of my league, is the site that I always refer people to is the Owner's Forum. It's not the Facebook sites, but the Owner's Forum. It's the rpod-owners.com. Uh, it's kind of the old school. We talked about this last show. It's kind of the old school um, owner's, owner's Forum where you can just ask questions. The reason why I refer people to this is because there's some seriously skilled and experienced people on there who who watch that forum and I would just recommend Terry you heading over there and answering asking the same question on your 195. Okay, there's several other questions it looks like. Uh, Jason, hey Jason, how are you doing? Question: I have a 180 and bug guard screens over some areas. My dealer said on the 180, don't cover the vents and the refrigerator outside with screens will not get enough air. Thoughts? Uh, that's an that's an interesting thought. I mean, if you have screens, I do. By the way. I've had screens since I've you know, had my R-Pods because I think the trade-off is you don't want to get stuff in there, whether it be uh, you know, things like wasps or bugs or a lot, of, a lot of other things that can get in there. But it will, the screens obviously are going to have a closer knit, so it's going to let less air flow. But I actually haven't had any issues because of doing that. So I've had screens, and basically my experience is that it's not really an issue. And, and you know, again, you can ask on the owner's forum, see what people think, but it, my take is I haven't had any issue with airflow at all, even in hot temperatures with having the screens. I think I'd rather keep the screens on than not, just because I think the benefit and the risks are in the favor of keeping the screens. And uh, another plug for the Amazon store, those screens are all there. If you wonder what kind of screens we're talking about, there's the mesh screens that can fit over the refrigerator, over the furnace exhaust, and over the water heater exhaust that are all, I think, the, the mesh there is too, uh, too large and allow things in, so you can find those on the Amazon store. And we picked them all out for you. So we, you already know what to get. You don't have to go searching. Okay, I don't think, um, I don't think, let's see, we have another one down there. Let's see real, real quick. Uh, Ron. Uh, Ron, uh, thanks, John. Solar panels on the battery box. Uh, we'll do a lot of off-grid. Okay, Ron, good to know. So yeah, I, I think you give it a shot. It can't hurt, really. Uh, even a, a smaller watt is going to keep the batteries better, so not a problem. If you're going to do serious boondocking, you probably want to think about a little a little more robust system. So, but you're gonna have to try that out and see what you think, right? Before you go and spend big money on, you know, expensive lithium batteries or bigger solar panels. So, and I think, uh, let me just give it a couple more moments here before we head out for some questions here. Uh, anybody else, last call for questions, any questions at all, at all, we can uh, just hold on for just a second here uh, for any other questions. And I think that's probably gonna do it. So, you know, that'll do it for today's show. I want to thank you guys for joining the live show and thanks for watching, those of you who are watching the YouTube replay. If you haven't already subscribed, we'd love to have you on the OTR team. You know, you can also join us on Instagram and Twitter. I actually put a lot of extra content on Instagram for those of you who follow along over there. This is John Marucci. Thanks for joining again. Stay safe and so long for now.